Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you, Father, for the place you have given us, the life you gave us, the time you gave us, for bringing us all together, Lord, in this manner. We thank you the meeting is today and not was not yesterday. Yesterday there was no power at the same time here. The storm had hit. But today we are all safe. Come together in your name, in the same place, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, thank you. Speak to us, Lord. So many things happening everywhere. You speak to us. You speak to us, Lord. You teach us, continuously teach us, Lord. You are the teacher. There is no other teacher but you, Lord. So teach us this evening, Father. Give us hearing ears, a mind that understands, a mind that receives, and give us the strength, the power to believe and to obey, Lord. Thank you, Father. Speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You heard Sunday's message? Yeah, Pastor Vijay preached on Sunday. So I know that it's a very old term for 2,000 years. The question was always, were you sent? <laughs> or there are a lot of people who just went. Okay, and uh, the introduction of the new covenant about the man with whom the new covenant actually kind of begins is, there was a man who was sent by God. It was John the Baptist. And if you go through the Gospels, Jesus will always say about the one who sent him. And he will actually say that, the one who sent me, the father who sent me. If you knew the father, you would know whom he has sent. Okay, I want to, I'm, the message is not on that, but connected with that, but add a little to it to what Pastor Vijay uh, preached. Okay, there are two kinds of sendings in the Bible, which is both of God in through history of Israel and the church 2,000 years, God personally has sent people. And God has also sent through the church of men who were sent by God. The leadership, he has sent men. And uh, you will see that both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you will see Philip is sent supernaturally by God. You know, and then when there is a revival in Samaria and the church leadership heard, they sent Peter and John, okay? And, and down through history you will see that Martin Luther was a man who was sent by God and not by the church. Because he had to come out of the established church to start what God had to. So Zwingli, all of them, you know, the Wesleys, all of them, D.L. Moody, all these people, if you look at them, were sent by God. And when the Pentecostal movement started, you had this men who were sent by God, who had to come out of the Baptist. And if you look at the history of the church in India, if you had the movie, the church was basically in Kerala, and it was a Syrian Jacobite church, you had to have the Marthamites, they were, they were not called Marthamites then, but they called themselves when they came out, and the leadership was sent out by God, not by the church. They called themselves Marthamites by saying that they follow the leadership of Thomas. 
the Jacobites meaning they followed the leadership of Jacob, James, okay, so they, and they were the reformists, the Martamites were the ones, no Mary worship, nothing, no idea, even now you go to Martama church, they preach the word, and they are, uh, no Mary, nothing at all, so they were the ones sent out, if you look at the history, and then out of the Martama church came out the Pentecostal movement in India. Okay, so you have to see that every age, you know, every age, different dispensations, God sends people out predominantly through the church leadership. And in certain cases, he has to send people out on their own. So keep that. But keeping that in mind, when God, we are all supposed to be sent. We are all supposed to be sent by God. Wherever you are, you are sent or should be sent by God. When you are sent by God, you need to realize what you actually become. Okay? If you look at the teachings in the church, we focus the teaching on two things. One is so that you become somebody, what God wants you to be. That is what I call the more like a passive kind of faith. Okay, passive, which is very important, the passive kind of way you are being made into somebody. Then you have to be sent out to do something for God. If you're only one without the two, you're still 50% only. There are no crowns there. Please remember, there are no crowns there. You need to have a crown. You need to be that person God wants you to be and then go out and do what that person was supposed to do in Christ, through Christ. Okay? So when you are sent out, whether you are a man or a woman or anybody, when you are sent out by God, you, let's use the term, generic term, man, which includes men or women also, okay, in today's context, you actually become a man of war. War, not in the sense physically, but spiritually. That was Jesus talking, the kingdom of God advances with violence. And the violent take it by force, okay? Every man you look in the Bible who was sent by God was a man of war. Was a man of war, spiritually. And of course in the Old Testament you will see that they were very, they had to be outwardly also that. The reason is because our God himself is a man of war. You need to realize when God brought Israel out of Egypt, when he brought them out of Egypt, the people only had seen one side of God, the God of miracles, the God of power. They saw the judgment, this thing. They didn't see him fighting. They didn't see him fighting. He didn't fight. Egypt, in Egypt, he did he just sent those plagues and judgments and finally the firstborn is dead and Egypt lets them go. But when Egypt pursued Israel, God opened the Red Sea. Okay, so God is not, war has three, three, three categories when you talk about a man of war. Okay, first is the man of war. God is a man of war. Then there are battle tactics. Okay, then there are weapons of war. You have to look at it, these three things. Okay, so in the Red Sea, you will see God's battle tactic. Tactic is different. He opens it up dries up the ground because the scripture is very clear they went on dried ground only God can do that no you went to dry your hair that this thing how much time it takes right God dried up the entire road for them like six I don't know how many hundred feet it was for the entire army the Israel to march dry ground but when the Pharaoh and his army and the chariots followed he started letting first the water seep in okay he didn't allow it to close he didn't he allowed them to come in 
and then the water to seep in so that the chariot wheels started getting stuck in the mud and started coming up. He allowed them to come quiet a bit, then closed it. So this is battle tactic. Okay, so God is a man. That's when they experience God as a man of war. And that is when Israel realizes our God fights. Okay, you will see that in Exodus, Miriam's and Moses' song. We shall not attribute it to Miriam. Let's call it, uh, it is. It was Moses' song. I don't know why people say, call it the song of Moses and Miriam. Okay, if you look at, I'll read from verse 3 to 5. Okay, yeah, somebody can read it if you have your Bible with you. It's better. Exodus chapter 15, verses 3 to 5. The Lord is a man of war. Fifteen verse. The Lord is his name. The Lord is his name, and his name is he's a man of war. Okay? And then quickly, okay, four five. Yes. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red, Red Sea. sea. Mm. The depths have covered them. Mm. They sank to the bottom like a stone. They sank to the bottom like a yeah. stone. Okay. This is the first war they are actually watching because God is a man of war. Okay. So you have to understand because why is so important is that, yeah, kingdom of God advances by violence and the violent take it by force. Remember, it is God who fights. It's not you who fight. It's God who fights. He tells you how to fight, like on uh, Wednesday, last Wednesday night at uh, Abu Dhabi when I was teaching them on spiritual warfare, I said the psalm, I think it's David who says, he, trans, he trains my hands for and my fingers for battle. Why fingers for battle? Why does he use two different things? Because every weapon is held differently by the fingers. The sword is held like that, the spear is held like, the sling is held like, the bow and arrow. So he trains my fingers for war. Okay, you have to understand it's not, it's not random written scriptures God made. So these we have to take it spiritually. What does it mean, Lord? Teach me. Teach me. Because remember, these battles are fought primarily first in, in, in uh, prayer. So, you have to know God is a man of war. God has his battle tactics. So, he opens up. He lets them go. He draws the enemy in. Then, closes them down. And he uses battle tactics. So, don't be very, very like, no, Lord. You have to hear from him. Remember how I was taken in? Okay. He said, one set hide over there. Second go. And when I start chasing, run. Run. Draw the city out. Mm. When the city and the fighting men are drawn out, you guys go in, set the city on fire. Okay. Now we'll say, oh God, isn't that deception? Isn't that unethical? Please remember. <laughs> okay. This is war. This is war. This is war tactics. Okay. These are war tactics. Okay. So please remember. So first comes the man of war. And then comes the battle tactics. And then comes the weapons of warfare. And if you look in the natural, if you look in the natural world, like our natural world, even in the natural, you know, if you look at the army, has it spends millions, both in recruitment and in training. And then in the procuring of the weapons. Okay, recruitment, procuring, or the training and the procuring of weapons. God also recruits. He also trains. And he also supplies with the weapons. 
But God is actually more interested in the man, the recruit. While the man is more include, interested in the weapon. <laughs> okay? Because we look in terms of like with the physical, this things, all this thing, weapons fascinate us. We don't realize the weapon doesn't mean much to God. God wants a man. God wants a man. God can use any weapon or not any weapon. God can make anything into a weapon. Okay, anything into weapons. So for God, the recruit is what is important. While people are more interested in, in the weapon. And so if you look at the pattern in which a man who is sent, if you look, the first man of war in the Bible, God's man of war in the Bible is Abraham. When war is first mentioned in the Bible, it's in Genesis 14, and the first man of war is Abraham. You don't think about this man as a man of war. He was a man of war. And if you look at it, what he used to fight an unbelievably huge army was just 318 trained men born in his household. That was what God gave him and that was enough. Okay? So you have to look at it. Abraham is a man of war. Okay? Moses was a man of war. But the weapon God gave him was just a rod. This is all you need. Just a rod to bring an empire down. Joshua is a man of war. But if you look and read the book of Joshua as a book of war, what defines all their battle, the primary thing that defines their entire battle is the Ark of the Covenant. <coughs> That's the one that goes before them. That is what defines everything. Once Joshua is over, you have book of judges and many judges, but primarily I would say only five of them really matter. And if I'm just giving you a glimpse about how the weapon actually doesn't matter. It's the man who matters. Okay? okay. Like you have the first guy who will fight is Ehud. He's left-handed, which is a disadvantage. And he has a small little short sword. But the left-handed man with a sword is the one who brings victory. The second man over is a man with an ox god. Shamgar with an ox god. So the weapon doesn't matter. The man matters. The man has heard from God and he believes and the weapon is a weapon of destruction. Okay. The third is a woman called Jael with a peg and a stone. Okay. That's all. Okay. So if you look at it, the weapon doesn't matter. The person matters. Do you believe? and Will you obey? Okay. And the next major battle over is, is 300 empty pitchers, torches and trumpets. Okay. And if you look at it, that's why you have to, that's why it's so important that you focus on what God is doing in you and not getting fascinated by the weapons. Getting fascinated by weapons because when God tells you to use whatever it is, it becomes a weapon. In Samson's case, a dead donkey's jawbone. Okay, the anointing comes upon the man and that sudden bone becomes a weapon of mass destruction, literally. Over a thousand Philistines? Yes. Yeah, over a thousand Philistines are dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, or like in David's case, it's just a sling and a stone. So keep that because the problem is our carnal mind will get very fascinated by guns and you know tanks and fighter planes and all that. But the kingdom of God doesn't work. The kingdom of God focuses on the person and the person becomes spiritually a man or a woman of violence. What was important, like I said, is the man of war and if you look at it, was always the leader or the leaders. Abraham was the leader. As a leader, he picked only 318. He had many slaves, but he picked 318 who were trained. 
Okay, so they were trained. He did not, first thing, he did not pick the untrained. So in war, you need to be trained. Second thing, those who were born in his household, meaning loyalty is very, very important in war. In that final battle, before Ziklag is going to get burned down, Akhir sends, though he loves David and his men, uh, he sends him away because the rulers of the Philistines don't trust David. How can you go fight Israel with a set of Israelites with us? How can you trust their loyalty? Loyalty. Because so understand this part about it. In the kingdom of God in war, it's training and loyalty. Loyalty is very, very important. We, we may come to it later. Okay, keep that in mind. And uh, if you don't know about loyalty, God cannot use us for war. Moses was a man of war, and at the next book, you have two men who lead the nation, are two men who were loyal. Who were loyal to Moses, and loyal to the God of Moses. So they could be trained. Okay? So if you look at it, before a man of war can be trained, the first thing is, you have to be recruited. In the army, you know, in India or anywhere, it's very stringent. Like people like me will never make it at height. Mm-hmm. No, only height. This thing is made only for those who are joining Gorkha regiment. If you're a Gorkha, they bring down your height. Okay, so you know, height and chest and running and they put you through the rigors before you can even pass the first stage, recruitment. Okay. Recruitment is very strict in the army. The, the criteria, okay? So, they will always say that only those who fit in the criteria should apply. Please don't waste your money and our time. Okay? So, go may take your measurements and all correctly and then apply, okay? The same thing is true in the kingdom of God. God says, only if you meet the criteria, apply. Otherwise, don't apply. But the problem is the criteria is not at all like the world. At all like the world. Let's look at the criteria. First Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Yeah. Anybody with a loud voice? Because if I read, I'll read from an eye. For you see your calling. So that is recruitment. You're being called. See your calling. Okay, this is not salvation. Not salvation. This is your calling. Okay. What is the calling? Oh, the wise are not called. If you are wise according to the flesh, wise according to this world, disqualified. Second, if you are mighty according to the flesh, disqualified. Third, noble. If you are talking about your khandan and that's why God will use you, not you are disqualified. Then, God has chosen. Who are the ones he chooses first? He didn't choose fools. Please don't get it wrong. Okay, He didn't choose fools. He didn't choose fools. He chose the foolish things. The people of prayer, the people of faith are foolish to the world. They're not fools. They're not fools. They're not fools at all. They might be very, very smart, very wise, very smart, very learned. But they are foolish in the eyes of the world. The foolish, second, Uh, eh? The weak, he chosen the weak people, 
and weak people. They have chosen the weak people. He doesn't choose the strong people. Okay? He chooses the weak people. Okay? Weak people. And he uses weak things. Like who would fight an army with the ox goat? Who would fight an army with the jawbone of an ass? Okay? Weak things. Weak things. Okay? Weak people, weak things. Third, the base things. Not noble, ignoble. Base things of the world. And next, despised as God has chosen. So you have to realize, you have to honestly do a cross check and say, Lord, do I fit into this category? Do I fit? Am I trying to be wise according to the world? God says, you are just disqualifying yourself in the fight. You just disqualify yourself in the world. I am trying, am I trying to be strong in the ways of the world? God says, you disqualify. Are you trying to be noble? God says, you disqualify. Are you trying to be honored or are you being despised? The qualifications in God's army is so very different. And what is the reason? The reason is given in the next verse, verse 29. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Ah, so that none of us, when we win our battles, we will know we did not win because of anything we had. It was because of God. It was nobody would ever, ever, ever. Okay? So if you look into scripture, the interesting part is, if you go through scripture, God delights in picking the weak. And when they trust and obey him, he makes them strong. Okay? And if he ever picks a strong man, he first makes him weak. Then fills him with his strength. Whether it is Moses or whether it is Paul. Moses was a very strong man at 40. Okay? Very strong man at 40. By the time he's 80 years old, he's an incredibly weak man. God says, now you are ready. Paul was, Saul of Tarsus was a very strong man. That's why God blinded him for three days. And at the three days, he was weak. He was weak. And all that he had learned, God took him into the desert of Saudi Arabia, emptied him, made him foolish in the eyes of the world. Okay, that's why you will never ever hear Paul quoting any one of his teachers, talking about any of his seminaries. So wherever he never, he always says Christ. Now today that's not the way. I know I'm from Fuller. I'm from Trinity. You know, people try to talk about their colleges. Paul never did. He never. Did. He didn't say Gamaliel, Sanhedrin. No, he didn't say any of those things, which were actually true, historically true. Okay, and the reason is this. How God does this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Because this is the way he, God operates. Yeah. And he said to me, he said to me, my, grace is, my grace is sufficient. For my strength is made perfect. My strength is made perfect only in weakness. weakness. Only in weakness. That is our issue. Our issue. God doesn't want my strength. God doesn't want my strength. God wants my weakness. And it is not easy for anybody to become weak. Nobody naturally becomes weak. Even in your last stages, you are hanging on to your strength. Just think about it, okay? Elijah comes to Zarephath and there is this poor widow, last stages, little flour, little oil and a son. And when he says, give me some bread, you know what she says? I got this much atta, this much oil, we are going to make two cakes, eat and 
With the last strength I have, I'm still going to choose my way. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Okay. So she's still not weak enough for God to use. So he says, no, you make it and give it to me. Now, once you are made and given it to him, you're completely weak. You have nothing left. Not to live one more day and then die. That's your end. Okay? And when she does that, she's completely weak. The wind starts filling up. Okay? Please remember, it. this is not easy. What we are telling is not easy. This is our constant fight in life is that. We'll come to that. Okay? This is our struggle. Yeah, we read both? Yeah? Mm. Yeah. I shall boast in my infirmities. The power of Christ may rest upon me. We don't boast about our infirmities. We boast about our strengths. But this is one man who understood really how God functions. He says, boast. He says, he really is saying that, you know what? I'm really, 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 really down. I am actually really, really, really happy because I know he will fill me if I trust him. He doesn't, Paul doesn't trust himself when he's on a high. Okay. Paul trusts himself when he's really down because he knows that now if something happens, it is God. It is a boast in my infirmities. And then? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, infirmities, in reproaches, in, reproaches, in, needs, in needs, in persecutions, in, persecutions, in, distresses, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake. Okay. When I am weak, then I am strong. I am strong. So God, every generation, these are God's ways. His ways never change with any generation. From the beginning till today, His ways has never changed. That's our struggle. That's why in Romans 12, God says, even before you will understand my will, Please don't conform to the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world is to choose the rich, the wise, the strong, the noble, the mighty. If democracy wasn't come over here, there would be no Dalit movement and all. Nobody wants a Dalit PM or anything in this thing. That is only because of vote banks. No, vote banks. I'm talking to you, in India's history, almost all the leadership was higher caste. Even in the Communist Party, which is supposed to be casteless, Iyamastambudri part, Brahmin, Ikenainar, Brahmin, Bhattacharya, Brahmin, Prakashka, all are from the higher caste. Why? You see, you can talk about any ideology you want. The human self will always want to be noble. And God says, I don't want the people who are that. I want people who will have will look back and say, you know what, I look into my family, I look into my khandan, I look into my riches, I look into my studies. I'm weak in all these areas. I don't put trust in any of these areas. None of this. Okay? And that so we don't conform to the pattern of the world. But the, the why I'm saying is that is that many men of God who began were weak and began after God used them for a season, they went in the pattern of the world. They made a name for themselves, they built a monument for themselves, whether it is Saul, Gideon and all, they didn't finish well. The secret is with Moses and Paul who remained weak till their end. Therefore, they could walk with God till their last day. That is the secret. There are many, many of them who once they became strong and they had won their battles and got their name and glory and everything, they started building their own monuments. And that's where we have to be very, very careful because the one who does it all through us, 
is Christ and his spirit. Okay. Just think about it. If there was one man who walked on earth who was everything was Christ. But he became nothing. That's my translation of Philippians 2. He became nothing. And then God at the end made him again everything. If was one man who could actually claim that I am everything, whether it is wisdom, riches, khandan, <laughs> you name it, strength, he could say that, that's, that's who I am, I'm everything. But he actually became nothing. And one statement I want to make, okay? Much of the statements are my own statements, okay? Most Christians are in reality unused or underutilized by God because they cannot be brought to that point of weakness where they will lean on God alone. Either they are unused or they are underused, underused. Because God cannot bring them to that point of weakness where they will lean on God alone. Then, like I said, in the beginning, there is this other group that went but was not sent. They went on their own strength. Riches, talent, nobility, knowledge. All that can bring success for a while. Success for a while. Then it tapers off. It won't continue. Like you can have a ministry with money. You can run a church on money. You can hire almost anything today. Hire a hall, hire a worship team, hire a preacher. There are churches here in this city also who just said, just pastor, you come once a month, we just want your name. And we'll give you how much? 75,000, right? 75,000 a month. We just want your name. That's all. Just be under your name. And we'll pay you 75,000 just for your name. You can have a ministry if you have a big name. Anything. You can hire a Best worship teams, they will come and do it for you, worship. They may be genuine also. When you pay them, they will do it. Everything can be hired today. It will run for a season. Then it will taper off. Remember. Because very few will be able to really serve till the end. Very few actually will be able to. I'm not talking about living. I'm talking about serving. Who will be able to say, like Paul, I fought, I kept, I finished. Okay, now he's not talking about just living, he's talking about his service, because the previous verse will say, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And one of the reasons, like in this past century, so many miss out is because the whole world system, the educational system, which has penetrated into the church thinking, is aimed at making Something out of you. Okay? The whole education system is to make something out of you. Well, God is trying to make nothing out of you before he can make something out of you. So, these both are in conflict. The world is forever saying, you can do it, you can do it, you have to become something, you have to become something. And God is telling, be nothing, be nothing, be nothing, be nothing. So, they are working at two different ends. Two different ends. That's why if you listen to preachers, most preachers today are motivational speakers. They are not speakers of the gospel. They are motivational speakers. So, you, they are working in cross purposes with the actual gospel. They are working against the cross because the cross makes you nothing. And on the other side of cross, if you become something, it is Christ and it is not you. It is not you. So that is the struggle people are facing. Which do I believe? 
The world is telling you, you have to become something, you have to become something, you have to become something. Well, God is saying, will you become nothing, 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 so that I can really make it do something, not only here, the other side too. And here you may not be acknowledged, you may not be even accepted, you may not be even accept. like, no, they may not say that you are cool, but on the other side, definitely. Okay, so if you look at the list in the Bible, if you look in the first five, six books, like you begin with Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Caleb. Like, no? If you look at these people, Abraham was a weak man. He was not a strong man. God did not pick a strong man. He picked a weak man. He was such a weak man, he hid behind his wife. And he moved into Egypt. He was not a strong man. He became a weak, he was a weak man. And God, God didn't know this man. He knew this man. He picked a weak man. God, why didn't God stop Abraham from going into Egypt? Why did he stop Isaac? Have you ever asked this question? He stopped Isaac, but he didn't stop Abraham. Because some of these men, God will allow them to fall so badly, so that when they rise up, they will never put their trust in their strength. Never. Never. You know, there is something that falls like that, make you aware of yourself, this is who I am. I am not going to trust myself. I want to trust God. This is how God is able to turn around and use every situation in your life. Okay, God did not stop Abraham. Though God had met him at the altar and spoke to him and blessed him and all, he didn't tell him famine is coming, don't. He didn't give him a word of prophecy. He didn't do any of those things. Abraham was a weak man. Isaac was a weak man. He was not a strong man. Jacob was a weak man because he was always manipulating from behind. Okay, he never faced anybody in the friend, okay? Moses, like I said, was a strong man who was made weak. And if you look in the judges, like I said, Ehud was left-handed. Barak, literally today's uh, terms, hid behind a skirt. Okay, Deborah's big skirt, okay, he hid behind. So he was not a strong man, he was a weak man. Gideon hid in a wine press. You look at the judges whom God picked. Jephthah, the other is. He was the son of a prostitute. His father had many children, 70 children or something, if I'm, oh, I forgot the number of children, through his wives. And then he had a child through a prostitute. And that was Jephthah. And the regular children, legitimate children, threw him out of the house. And God picked that weak man. who had no name, no reputation, nothing. Okay, Let's leave Samson. He was such a total failure, actually, you know. He was a strong man who could not be made weak. Could not be made weak. But there's an interesting line in the context of what you are hearing if you read Samson's end in Judges 16 and verse 30. Can you hear it at the back? Okay, no? Judges 16 and verse 30. It's a very interesting verse, yeah. Then Samson said, Yeah. Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. Okay. And the temple fell on the Lord and all the people who were within it. Mm. So the dead that he killed at his death mm. were more than the more were more than he had killed in his life. Yeah. More than all the people he had killed in his life, in his last attempt, he killed them all. What does it mean? Samson was more powerful in the hands of God, not when he was strong, but when he was weak. When he was weak. Now he's weak. He's blind. Chained, he's absolutely weak, completely in the hands of God. And he was strongest in the hands of God at his weakest. And all the days he was strong. God had to use him, but couldn't really 
Yosef. Okay, so please get these fundamentals in because the problem is we are being brainwashed today through every media, even to Christian television, that we are something when we are actually nothing. And if we ever become something, it will be only through Christ. And the entire Laodicean church is the age of self. And if you look in the Laodicean church, ultimately Christ is outside. While he is checking every other church inside in the Laodicean church, Christ is outside because they are strong in themselves. So, when you cross-check your life, those who are here and those who are hearing will hear over the weeks. So many are in their various stages of life. Either they are caught in Egypt with the sword, that is Moses at 40, still trying to work out. Or they are wandering in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. We prefer to look at Moses at Acts 7.22. Moses was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. But God would prefer to look at Moses of Exodus 4.10. That's what God is looking for. Acts 7.22 is Moses at 40. Exodus 4.10 is Moses at 80. And that's the man God wants. What does he say? Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, I am not eloquent. neither before, nor, neither before, nor since, nor since. You have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech. I am slow of speech. And slow of tongue. Slow of tongue. Of course, now you're ready. Ready. Qualified. Hmm. Yeah, qualified. Okay. We would prefer to be the Moses of Acts 7.22. God wants the Moses of Exodus 4.10. Okay. At that point, only remember, God is looking at everybody, all of us, he knows. God is looking at Moses too. God knew where Moses had reached and now he is able to speak to Moses. God is also looking at our various stages in life we are before he can speak to us. One of the reasons people will say, God never speaks to me. The reason is, are we weak enough for God to speak to us? Are we too strong that God cannot speak to us? Okay. But... If you look at uh, the two real encounters Jacob had with God, first time is at Bethel. That was the weakest point of his life till then, right? Running away from his father's house, doesn't know where, he doesn't even have a pillow. Okay? That's how bad he is. He has to put a stone under his head to sleep. Okay, Really weakest point in his journey so far, God speaks to him in a vision. The next time he really has an encounter with God is at Peniel. Okay. He saw his coming and is absolutely petrified, divides his group, crosses over and is struggling with God. God dislocates. He's really, really weak. And God meets him. Okay, So please understand. Okay. But Jacob wrestling with God, Abraham, all this. The Bible is not very clear about so many things, but I personally believe what defined all these weak men who became strong in God, I believe was their prayer life. Was their prayer life and their word life, okay? Hmm. Why I say that is when I'm talking about prayer, I'm talking about real, true, genuine prayer. The reason why I say it is because only the weak pray. Only the weak pray. 
Okay, truly pray for everything and anything. Think for a minute, okay? Because disciples told Jesus, please teach us to pray. Okay, we are not going there, but think about it. Jesus had none of the shortcomings which we do. He was born without sin. He knew his father intimately. Bible is very clear. He knew his father's will perfectly. He did not struggle with unbelief or weak faith like us. Yet his entire life was marked by prayer. We could ask this question, why did he even have to pray? Why did he even have to pray, right? We pray, Lord, because I don't know you. He says, I know I am my father one. Okay, Lord, what is your will? He says, behold, I have come to do your will. Okay, Lord, I fell. Please forgive me. He never falls. (laughs) (laughs) Do you understand about when you look into his life, what he actually did? He voluntarily laid aside the right to do anything independently. And chose to be completely subjected to his father. To be that, you need to have a prayer life. Without a prayer life, you cannot. He depended entirely on his father, obeyed his father, looked to him for everything. And that's how we made himself weak. And God made him strong. And the way he did it was through prayer and faith. Faith is the word, the ministry of word. Like I said, he had no sin to confess, yet he prayed. He was never confused, should I or should I not, yet he prayed. He never needed healing, yet he prayed. He never needed deliverance, yet he prayed. That's why I say our prayer life will define our weakness or our strength. Our faith life will define our weakness. Only those who genuinely know they are weak will meditate upon this day and night. You need to understand. If you think you are strong, you don't need this. Only the weak need this. This are the, that's why the apostles got it post everything. Remember in the book of Acts, he says, okay, we will not come out from the ministry of prayer and the ministry. They have become weak now. They were all very strong, sons of thunder, lightning and all. All have become. And they have realized, you know, there's two things are non-negotiable in a man of war's life. One is the word, the other is the prayer. Word. Both equally, okay? Not one above the other. Both equally. Battles are won or lost because of this. But you need to understand when it comes to prayer, okay? The effects of prayer are neither bound by time or space. Okay, effects of it. Jesus prayed for all of us 2,000 years ago. Okay, and he's going to be arrested and he knows Peter have prayed for you, okay? Also, okay. And once you have, okay, I have prayed. So it is not bound by, meaning, neither bound by time or space. Like Deepika can pray for Jyoti. Okay. Jyoti can pray for Sister Joba and Richie in Houston. Space is irrelevant when it comes to prayer. Mm. I mean, God can wake you up to pray for somebody on the other side of the planet or wake you up to pray for somebody who is sleeping on the next bed. So prayer does not constrain, is not constrained either by time or by, by 
space. So please remember this. Okay. Let's let's because these are weak men. Leadership leaders are God's leaders, not political leaders. God's leaders are generally, if you look in the Bible, we're all uh, what you say, weak men, and they had a very powerful personal hidden prayer life. Look at Nehemiah chapter one and verse four. Okay, he's another look. He's the one who completed what the others couldn't do. Of the Babylonian, the exiles who returned, different groups. And the last group is, if I'm right, led by Nehemiah. He finishes what the others couldn't do. Okay, if you look at verse 4, scripture says, When I heard these things, I sat down. I wept. I moaned. I fasted. I prayed. Okay. It's, it's, it's another message. Five things he did. Okay. Five things he did. Okay. He sat. He wept. He moaned. He fasted. He prayed. Okay, and then scripture says, for some days I moaned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Okay, if you look, this man was a man of prayer. Nehemiah begins with prayer and ends with prayer. Now look, wait a minute, okay. In chapter 2, of course, you will see the king giving him permission. If you look at Nehemiah 1.1, it says the words of Nehemiah, okay, in the month of Kislev. In the 20th year. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 1. In the month of Nisan. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. What did you get? In chapter 2. Is when he finally gets the opportunity. To request the king. Meaning he prayed for 4 months. Before he took action. The actual building of the wall. Took how many days? 52? Less than? 52 days. To do a work for 52 days, he prayed for 120 days. Okay. Okay. Now we have, we do the opposite. We pray for 5.2 seconds to do a work of, <laughs> right? But look at these men, okay? Why, Hannah? Why did God use Nehemiah to finish what others couldn't do? Because not only he was a man of prayer and a man of faith. Because a man of faith cannot be a man without prayer. A man of prayer also has to become a man of faith. Okay, both together. And uh, and if you actually look at all these people whom God used, which is interesting, right? If you look at Moses. Moses was actually trained to be a soldier and became a shepherd. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to shepherding, he's weak. That's not what his, his training is. That's not the, what the world does. If you are an IT guy, oh wow, you are prophet, you are strong in IT. Come, 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 I will use you for that. They use you on your strength. God uses where you are absolutely not qualified. Because <laughs> then you will not lean on your own understanding and on your strength. So he was a soldier and a general, made him a shepherd. Okay? And Gideon was actually a farmer. Okay? It's a farmer. And he made him into a soldier. Okay, David was a shepherd and made him into a soldier. Okay, Nehemiah was a cup bearer and made him into a builder. What does bearing a cup have to do with building? That's something you have no clue about. But if God is asking you to do something, you usually have no clue about it. So that you will lean on to God and don't bring your wisdom and understanding and everything into it. Okay, Elisha was a farmer. Elisha was a farmer. He was not trained in any Bible college. 
but he became the prophet, the greatest after Elijah. Okay, so please understand. That's how you understand that when God, whether God has sent you or not. And you know, because God doesn't pick people who are very strong in what He wants Him them to do. Then they don't need God. They don't. They don't need God. If you remember, the church understood that in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there is an issue with the feeding. Okay, now we are not talking about uh, what Jyoti and Deepika and all so lovingly do on Sunday serving. No, it's not talking about that. This is this hundreds and hundreds of widows and all that to manage the whole thing. Now, who would we pick? We would pick a management professional, right? <laughs> uh, we need somebody with managing and FNB. Have you got FNB catering? God in. He said, pick seven people who are full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. And this wisdom is not the wisdom of the world. Wisdom of God's word. He says the only qualification for anything in the kingdom of God is they have to be full of God's wisdom, that is faith, and the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that qualification needed. Now, today, even churches do not function that way. They pick you according to your secular uh, talent. And they bring that input in. Actually, I'm telling you, that's how churches operate. They have their general body meeting or the leaders meeting and everybody's putting the two bits of input from the world. And they make their supposedly spiritual decisions based on that. And God is absent. And then, of course, they pray at the end and the beginning. God is absent. And you look in the pattern of the Bible, no? God it doesn't get involved in stuff like that because no man will be able to boast. He'll be able to boast, no? So this is where you we you have to look at all these people and you have to learn, Lord, I want to be a man who is sent. I want to be a child who is sent. I want to be a woman who is sent. And anybody who is a man or a woman of war is preparing you for something that is spiritual. At the end of the war, what happens is either you set a platform or a ground for souls to be one or souls are one. That is the purpose of this battle. Okay? You're not talking about your past you where you are fighting your battles and winning. We are not talking about that. That's the other side. We are talking about winning for Christ. But if you look at all these champions, I'll just give you a couple of examples, a few examples. There's something common about all these people. I was just studying and I was looking at them. Exodus 3 and verse 1. One can pick Exodus 3, 1. Another can pick Judges 6, 11. Another can pick Samuel 16, 11. And one can pick Nehemiah 1 11. We'll go to Exodus 3 1 first. Now Moses was telling the flock of Jethro, his father in law. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's enough. Okay. Judges 6 11. And the angel of the Lord came and sat mm-hmm. under the terrible of Ophra, mm-hmm. which belonged to Joash mm-hmm. the Nebuchadnezzarite, mm-hmm. while his son Gideon was tweeting out wheat in the wine press. Oh, yeah, that's enough. Okay. First Samuel 16 11. Third person is missing. Yeah. Loudly, Peter. Are all your sons here? Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Okay. And Samuel said to Jesse, Call him. Send him and get him, for he will not sit down until we will not sit down until he comes. Okay. And if you go to Nehemiah 1 and verse 11. O Lord, mm. I pray, please mm. let your let your ear be attentive mm. to the prayer of your servant mm. and to the prayer of your servants mm. who desire to fear mm. your name. Okay. And let your servant. Okay, we'll leave that prayer part. At the end of it is like a footnote. One small line is given there. Verse oh, like, I was a cupbearer in the king's palace. I was a cupbearer. So, what is common about all these people? 
If you look at them, when they were called by God, they were all very faithful and loyal with a small thing. It is not easy for a prince of Egypt to be faithful with your father-in-law's sheep. It's a very menial job. Very menial job. He is very faithful and is very loyal. It does not say Moses was taking care of his sheep. It says Jethro's sheep. Okay. And if you look at Judges where we looked about here, no, he is being very faithful with his little responsibility. I have to save some harvest for my family. I have to take care of my family in this time. Midianites are taking away the harvest. He's very faithful to that little thing. His responsibility, Gideon looks, okay, we are under the Midianites, but I'm responsible for my family. Let me save something for my family. If you look at it, and if you look at the third case over there, David is very faithful and loyal to what his father has said. Father said, go take care of the sheep and he went. No first nothing. And if you look at Nehemiah over there at the end, one footnote, who am I? What does it mean? I'm a nobody. But the king trusts me with his life. The king, a Gentile king, trusts a Hebrew man with his life. Because I'm faithful, I'm loyal. Okay. Mm. I'm faithful, I'm loyal. And you have to see these things and you need to realize, oh Lord, oh, these, these are the things that God is looking for. God is looking for to make me into, into a man of war, a woman of war who can be sent out. Okay. Again, we will come back to that man of war, okay, because we saw Nehemiah's prayer also. We will see about prayer. <clears throat> One thing we need to understand about, like I said, only weak people pray, and they genuinely pray. Prayer is not for God's benefit, but for our benefit. We are commanded to pray, not because God needs the information. <laughs> No, because we need to know and demonstrate, know and demonstrate that we are depending on him. So, like I said a couple of Sundays back, faith speaks, faith is seen. Faith can be heard, faith can be seen. So, when I and you pray, we are acting out and speaking out, Lord, my dependence is on you. So, like I said, these men were not only men of prayer, they were also men who were intimately familiar with the Word of God. Very familiar with Because without the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you cannot know the ways of God. So, you cannot just randomly pray. Okay? When you are praying, praying, you know, when you are praying, you know, children are like, you know, children, children, when children want something, you know, like say, Amy and Abigail are sitting over there, you know, and if they want something and they know it's not an easy thing to get, they will always watch the mood of the father. Okay? They know, okay, he's in a very good mood. This is the best time to strike the iron when it is hot. You may be get it. Okay? So, like, you no? Know, so, prayer... Prayer in so many ways is connected with us knowing our God. Okay? We need to know our God. Okay? That's why God is not just looking for men or women of just prayer alone. He's looking for men and women of faith who pray. Faith who pray. Faith comes from hearing. 
and hearing from the word of God. That's why James, when he talks about, he says, when you are sick, call the elders and they'll anoint you. And the prayer of faith, offered in faith, okay? Because faith actually means you understand the ways of God because you have heard. You heard. So he's just not looking for people who pray because everybody prays. Everybody prays. He's looking for people who pray are also people of faith. And faith comes from hearing. It's when faith and prayer comes together. That's when we know by now very good we are. Grace falls, flows in or uh, the power of God comes in. When weak men are being made, weak men includes women too, they have become weak. God is making them strong. God also is wants to see that you have and I have faith that perseveres. Because God is a father. He's not just interested in your temporary success so that you get out of your problem. He's interested in our eternal success. Okay, eternal success. Okay, companies are interest, only interested in your temporary success, not in your eternal success. Actually, they don't like your eternal success because they think they will leave the company and go to the next one if you do too good. Okay, but not God. So if you look at James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. Hmm? My pure joy, all joy, when you fall into various trials, yeah, our faith has to be tested, which builds what? Perseverance, okay? Now, there is faith and there is perseverant faith. Everybody has faith. Everybody is given a mission. There's nobody sitting here who doesn't have faith. Everybody has faith. But the question is not that. The man of war has faith that is perseverant. He doesn't give up. Mm. Doesn't give up. Okay, why I'm saying that's how leaderships are formed. If the leader quits, the army will run. Mm. Army will run. So if you look, it's not enough that you have faith and God will keep on testing, 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 testing so that ultimately your faith has come through and it is perseverant. It is perseverant. Look at Elijah praying on Mount Carmel. Okay, he's praying on Mount Carmel. I'm not talking about the fire after that. He goes up, he's praying on his face and he sends his servant. Go see, comes back. Go see, comes back. Nothing. Go see, comes back. Nothing. Go see. This man is facing incredible crisis, okay? Just before that, if fire doesn't come down, he's dead. He's dead. Okay? He's dead all alone. They're going to kill him. The Prabal's prophets are going to kill him. Now, fire has come down and he has taken the people down and killed the prophets of Baal. Now, after he prays, if rain doesn't come, the people may kill him. Because this is all about rain. Okay? Go see. Go see. Seven times. Seven times. He doesn't raise his head. doesn't raise his head. Okay, so men of faith, women of faith, men of war, women of war, very, very perseverant. Our faith cannot give up. And for faith not to give up, that's why I said, it is, you have understood, you have heard, you have known. The reason is that, you know, all around you may be people who don't believe. Who don't believe. And they will try to bring in secular scientific knowledge and all. But you believe because you have heard. You have heard. And you will see men of God, you know, like 
he builds up builds up abraham step by 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 so you want and i want to be a person of faith even if even if it is to receive your own personal miracle or to allow god to do great things through you for both you need perseverance faith like we heard it so many times about the woman with the issue of blood 12 years but if you actually theologians have actually calculated and they said she had to cross 18 blocks before her to receive her miracle we only know few one we know she had no money second we know she lost her health she is old she because she has 12 years and she is weak she is a woman these are all men she has to go through push through yet she cannot touch she has to touch the bearer of the anointing without him knowing without making him unclean you look at everything but she didn't give up she didn't give up. how she managed all that how she came through we have no clue at all that when she touched even jesus did not know okay jesus did not know and a couple of sundays back we heard about the paralytic man who was brought by his four friends every entry was blocked every entry was blocked and they broke the roof they broke the roof okay i think the only one who was happy was jesus because if you're sitting here and this is dashed with mud on top and mud starts falling into your eyes and your head you're not going to be happy but jesus was very happy everybody who looked up got mud in their mouth okay okay but jesus is tickled pink when he saw their faith he was really really good the thing is that you know whether god has to do something for us or whether god has to do something through us we have to realize you know people so easily give up so easily give us one of the major issues god people give up very fast very 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 fast but the question i ask is uh, you know uh did god say that you won't be healed whatever your sickness did god say i'm not saying if you have a headache then i'm believing and i'm praying for you know just take a paracetamol go to work <laughs> don't waste waste your time about all that you know waste your time about you no know, i'm honestly telling you the reason is that oh, that's what i do i see the first pain coming i take it i won't let that stop me from what i have to do stupidity you know lord i'm believing and i'm standing on that no no you don't have to do you no know? like just think about it you no know? i mean like we heard it before also there are a lot of things which jesus could have done but he didn't do okay like the first miracle at cana i mean he could have really made a spectacle of it he would have could have said let water come <laughs> suddenly that's what the hindi movies and all the hindu gods do you know water is coming from the well and filling the six jars he didn't do any of this stuff okay no he's not a magician god what we can do he says you do it okay the only thing there we cannot do is that we cannot make water into wine that we cannot do so god says what you can do do what you do like when it comes to lazarus grave no he could have done a, in, in the thing they could have said stone move you know had the stone rolling up okay he didn't do anything he said you move the stone you move the stone see our problem is i'm telling you the reason i'm really telling you is that so many believers are absolutely lazy they want god to do what they should do okay they want god to do what they not said i'm not doing it I'm not doing it when you were a child when you were small in the faith i did many things for you because you are a child 
No, you will see when you are just new believer, excited, every miracle, everything seems to be a miracle. You ask, you receive it immediately. And little later, it all stops. And you say, Lord, what has happened? God said, grow up. You can do it by yourself. Now, you don't need, to me, need me to do all these things. So, please remember these things. Okay? When you go through life and you are believing for a miracle, there are a lot of things which God, because all knowledge is from God. Okay, sources could be different, but I believe it's all from God. So, whether it is uh, sickness or other stuff, a lot of stuff we can do. We can do. But all of us have something which we cannot do. At least one thing or more, which we cannot do. It's impossible. Those are the impossibilities of God. Okay. The question is, have you given up? Have you given up? Have you given up? If you give up, you cannot be a man of war. You cannot be a woman of war. You cannot. Because it's something about it. You cannot give up. That's what made all these people. That's why God was upset with Joshua in Joshua chapter 7. What are you lying over there? And he was upset with Moses in Exodus 14. What are you crying for? These are bachas who came out of Egypt yesterday. What are you crying for? I already showed you the power of my word. What are you crying for? Stretch forth your hand. Okay, he reacts differently to the babies and to the leader. He reacts differently with Joshua. He says, what are you crying for? Get up. You're doubting my word? Why did you bring us here to die here? You're doubting my word? What did I tell you? What did I tell you? I told you no man will be able to face you all the days of your life. And if some man has won victory over you, I haven't gone wrong. You have gone wrong. Just check where you went wrong. Okay, so God... God deals with these things so that we understand. We understand. Okay, so you want to be a man of war, you want a woman of war, a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, and want God to do stuff through you. God will ask stuff. This is a process, it's like in Gideon's final 300. He chucked the fearful all out. Fearful. So what's the first thing God is saying there? God says, you cannot be fearful. That's what? Joshua is a fearful. He's a weak man. He's a fearful man. But God says, be bold and courageous. And what you see in Joshua chapter 7 is he's fearful. And after that he gets it. He's not fearful anymore. And he's very strong. Because if the leader is strong, he passes on that strength to his followers. That's why when those kings are being attacked and the kings are hiding in the cave, he says, close it. We, we won't waste time over them. Let's go finish the people. Finish the people, come back. He says, bring the kings one by one out. And he said, all leaders, all of you come here. Put your put your feet on their neck. Put your feet on their neck. How does it feel? How does victory feel? Experience. Feel it. So far you've been following me, right? I want you to experience the thrill I've get when I win a battle. Feel it. Makes everybody put their leg on their neck. Okay. But he was not that man in the beginning. But he became a different man towards a later. So God is telling us about in this process of growing, you have to cross check and ask, where am I? Where am I? You cannot be fearful. You cannot be fearful. You have to fight those things because God has said, I have not given you the spirit of fear. Because it blocks you. And you have to be alert. The next 9,700 were taken away because they were not alert. They were not alert. Even Nehemiah was able to build the wall because he told the people, sword in one hand and build with the other. Be alert. Okay, he says, if you are not alert, you are gone. You are gun fodder. 
Okay, and then he picked 300 people. Okay, and 300, that's a different thing altogether. Though 300 people were asked to carry the strangest things. And scripture says in the book of Gideon, uh, in the book of Judges, everyone stood in his place. Everyone stood in his place. You need to know your place in the body of Christ. I need to know what exactly am I called to do. You need to know exactly what you are called to. One body, many parts. Each one stood in his place. I cannot stand in his place. He has to stand in his place. I have to stand in my place. It's the same God working through. But we stand in our own places. Okay, so understand that. If you don't turn to another thing, what you need to, to become a man of war, a man of faith. Mark chapter 5. That is, the woman got her healing and then God, remember he stopped Jairus. Jairus was the one who invited him, was crying, fell at his feet. Okay, 38. Okay. Verse 38. When they came to, yeah, came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he had put them all out, the wailing, the grieving, the mocking, the scoffing, you have to get them out of your life. They are the ones who will say the situation in your life is dead. No hope. God hasn't said that. They will wail, they will grieve, they will laugh, they will mock. God says, get rid of those voices. Those voices have to be silenced if you want to go forward with God. They have to be silenced. He took them all out. Then, what did he do? He put them all out and took the child's father and mother. These are two people who are personally connected to that situation. Okay? You may have a situation, but everybody is not personally connected to that situation. There could be somebody who is personally connected to the situation. Jesus brought that two people in, the father and the mother. And then, the disciples who were with him. If you go to verse 37, you will see something else there. And he allowed no one to follow except Peter, James and John. You see... This is something which you need to, if you actually read the Bible, you will understand something else. Jesus knew his disciples. And he knew the ones who had actually grown in faith were these three. These three, Peter, James and John. These three. And he did not allow the other disciples to come along with him. And these are the ones who are waiting far away and they are trying to cast out that demon and they couldn't. And when they go back, these are the ones Jesus cast and they ask Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Not these three. These three Jesus took with them. If you go to Mark chapter 9 and verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by Yeah, this is the mount of transfer. Whom did he take? Now, are you telling me that he was partial? No. God is not partial. God looks at each one of our faith and he decides to pick somebody and take them separately with him. All are disciples, but all do not walk the same way with God. The only thing that matters is faith. Even among the disciples, there are twelve and three are separated over there. And if you come, he's, they see, right? You look at something interesting, is there over there. They see Jesus as he is and look at what he tells them in verse 9. 
And as they were coming down the mountain, mm. he charged them to tell no one mm. what they had seen mm. until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Peter, just remember what you saw? Don't tell your brother Andrew, okay, till I rise up from the dead. That's not for him. Mm. Just for you. Not for him. Because he's not received, ready to receive. Because if you tell him, he will scoff. It's not for him. Don't tell anyone. So you have to understand. Otherwise, we will not understand how the kingdom of God works. How the kingdom of God works. Look at another incident. Mark chapter 14. Verses 32 and 33. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, mm. and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Mm. And he took with him Peter and James and John, mm. and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Mm. And Did you see, them, wait a second, did you see that? He took all the disciples, okay, let's say to a level of them are there, okay? Eleven are there. He told eight of them, sit here, sit here. And then he took three of them further and he started pouring his heart out only to the other three and not to the eight. Other eight. Please understand these things, how God speaks to different people, different ways. It's not that God is partial. God knows each one, how they are growing in him with whom he can share, whom he can show something which he cannot show to somebody. Though they may be of the same family, if you look at it, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. That Andrew is not allowed to know a lot of things until resurrection is over. Okay. Understand how God frames people and takes people in this journey of faith. Okay. Journey of faith and say, Lord... I see this, Lord. I want to be a man of war. I want to be a woman of war. I understand your very, very strict recruitment condition. I have to qualify. If I have to qualify, Lord, I realize this is the qualification. I need to be weak. I need to be foolish in the eyes of the world. I should not be rich in the eyes of the world. I should not be wise in the eyes of the world. That is when you pick me up. Okay? And then, Lord, in the prayer closet, I'm entirely dependent upon you and your word. You read any one of these people who prays, prays, whether the first, this thing of Abraham, pray, okay? He prays because he knows God. He knows God. He's not randomly praying. Lord, please, Lord, we never know. Maybe they will repent, Lord. He didn't say, Lord, if there are 50 righteous, I know you. We don't destroy the righteous. He prayed with an understanding of God. Understanding of God. That's what God is talking about, okay? When Nehemiah prays in Nehemiah chapter 1, you know what he says? If I'm right in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you know, you told Moses. You told Moses. And he exactly tells what he said. You told Moses, if you do these, these, these things, I will disperse you to all these nations. And it's true. Your word is true. Exactly true. And if you look at all these people, if you look into their prayer life, one of the reasons their prayer life personally was powerful is because they knew the God of the Word. And they knew the Word of God. The Word of God and the God of the Word. You need to know both. And they prayed accordingly. Okay, If you want to, to, because you see, like I said, the world has 
hundred and thousand ways you can go ahead, prosper and everything. God's people have only one way. That's called faith. And faith is an incredible equalizer. They cannot match faith. They cannot match faith. Faith cannot be matched with anything in this world. That is what God is trying to show. Faith can never be met. The world can throw its best Goliath. The boy of faith will stand up and bring him down. Okay, Egypt can throw his greatest army. One old man with a stick will bring them down. That's faith. And that's exactly what is God is telling everyone over here. By faith, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in. Comes in. Now, we don't want to be become like Moses, but in all in our personal situations, the question is, that is when you become weak. Because only a weak man will lift up the rod. A strong man will say, no, I'm not going to do it. What if it doesn't work? At least the king will show me mercy. I'm not the one who lifted the stick. I'm not going to do it. If it doesn't fail, people will think I'm a ullu or something, you know. You see the weak, the foolish, the one, they will do whatever God says. And one of the reasons we don't do a lot of stuff is that because we are strong. We don't want to look foolish in the eyes of the world. We don't want to look foolish in the eyes of the world. Like your, let's say, uh, your uh, Akila's class mate in the team is sick. You have heard all this, but you are very worried. Like if I lay hands, say, ask her, shall I pray for you and lay hands and she doesn't get well, I look like an idiot. It's, it's not that you don't believe in prayer, but if it doesn't happen, how will I look? What will they think? We try to become very religious and say, what will they think about my Jesus? It's not that. Jesus has no problems about his name. He's very secure in his name. Okay. Our problem is we don't want to look. You ask any man of God who had this incredible miracle ministries, ask any one of them, you will, they will always tell you the first four or five people they prayed died. <laughs> it didn't stop them praying. It did not stop them from praying. Okay. It did not stop them continue praying for the sick. It did not stop them. Okay. Every one of them will have this thing. They just died. Okay. But that, that our issue is that I still remember uh, this man of God when, uh, when his first patient, okay, he prayed for died and he was very upset. So God asked him a question. He said like, no, if you were sick and you prayed over him, and if he was healed, whose was the glory? Of course you, Lord. Okay, good. And if he died, whose is the shame? Whose is the shame? Why did you take? think it was your shame? The glory is mine. The shame is also mine, right? A vessel doesn't have shame or gl- glory. He says, that's the lesson I'm trying to teach you before I allow you to share in my glory. First, you need to remember, if nothing happens because I told you to do, the shame is mine, not yours. And if something happens, the glory is mine, not yours. Then only you will be ready to be my vessel. Ready to be my vessel. Okay? Because that's what the man of war, the woman of war, he gets it. Okay, because everything is done by faith. Like I said, when you are doing by faith, it is not bound by time. It is not bound by distance. Like, let's say Bible study, 7 o'clock, two people came. Nobody else came. 
but you do it by faith. Mm. Like, let me say, I posted the UAE 1 and 2 already, right? Mm. Right? Yeah. Posted, right? Mm. How many listened? Very few. But you know that I got text from US saying that we already listened, finished. And we've been, one person is in the ICU and we were listening in the ICU. And when did you upload it? Hmm? Yesterday. I already listened. And I, knowing that our people won't go on to the webpage, our webpage, I said, give it to me, let me put it on WhatsApp. What I'm saying is that, you see, if you only preach by sight, you have to preach by faith, right? Hmm. You have to preach by, everything is by faith, you know? Faith meaning nothing is bound by time or space. Time or space. Okay, like, Akila prays for her colleague. Nothing happens. But the colleague listens. Ah, okay. He listens. Nothing happens to her. But she takes medicine, she gets ill. Her sister in her family falls ill. And she hears, ah, I had a friend called Akila in the house, in the office. No, she prays always in the day. She puts her hands on her sister and says, in the name of Jesus, her sister gets healed. So she used the name of, she said, oh my gosh, it works. The name of Jesus works. How do you know how it works? How do you know? That is why servants of God have no self. That's why God uses weak people and foolish people. Okay, So that's why you do everything by faith. You obey it and do it by faith because you don't know how, what and how God is going to do it, what he's going to do. You don't know. He hasn't revealed all his plans to us. Did God tell Moses, lift up the rod and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do? He didn't tell him anything. He said, just lift up your rod. I'm absolutely sure when he's lifting up the rod and standing there, he still has no clue what is going to happen. Still has got no, no clue what is going to happen. He has no clue. But he did it. And we see the most incredible. I'm not saying that when God tells you to do something. Our problem is that we come with our secular scientific understanding <laughs> and when God says to do it, we already have a preconceived idea of what the result is. <laughs> without even knowing what the result is. Wow. And we get upset when we don't have a result because we had a preconceived idea and we are hoping, okay, yeah, like tomorrow's result. <laughs> Okay, but we have to believe the result doesn't go the way we are believing. God is still in control. Yeah. He's still in control. He's still in control. Okay, things will be bad for us, but then we have to live. God is loving. God is kind, like I was telling in, in, uh, Dubai, you know, in the Friday service, I told them, no? That's another message for another day, but I'll give you a snippet. When you have no faith, to have faith, you need to hear, right? Even if you have no faith, and you haven't heard, there is something which you can still bank on. When everything else stops, you can something that bangs on. That is the love of God. And the first thing about love, what Bible talks about, the love of God is, love is kind. kind okay? Imagine Jesus is walking with the disciples and he's in the city of Nain and a procession is coming from Nain. It's a widow and her son is dead. She didn't ask. She didn't believe. She didn't pray. It is just the compassion of God reaching out and says, boy, get up, mom, have your son. And he walks away. And much of the stuff we receive in life is because God is kind. It's not because we believe. 
because we believe. It's because He is kind. That's the nature of God. He's a compassionate God. He's a very compassionate towards His children. So that's what you have to look at and say, Lord, even when I, I don't have the faith to believe for this situation, I still believe in your love. I still believe you're compassionate. You will still, I, Lord, I am weak. I'm not able to believe, but I'm believing in one thing. I'm believing in your compassion. I'm believing in your love and I believe you'll bring me through. I believe in you. Because you love me, like I posted two days back, God doesn't abandon his children. Doesn't. That is what Jesus was constantly trying. This is what we are talking about. Lift up the person of God and lift up the word of God. The person. The person of God is very important. The character of God. God is kind. God is the kindness of God and the severity of God. Both. Lift up the person, 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 so that people put their trust in that person of God. So even in your darkest, blackest moments, what you're believing is not just the written word, it is the person of the word. And that person is real. The person is real. And God brings you through it all. He brings you through. Amen? Amen. So you shall be men and women of war. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We come here tonight into thy hands, Lord. Tonight, Lord. Another 12 hours from now, Lord. In so many ways, the destiny of this nation will unfold. But you have said, if you come together and you agree, it will be done in heaven. We cannot manipulate results. But we can pray for the will of God to be done. And that the enemy does not manipulate the result. So we take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. We bind every deceiving spirit, every power of occult, every witchcraft that is being still being done to manipulate the result. We know, Lord, demons can change figures. They can manipulate electronic boxes. They can do anything, but the only entity that has been given power over them is the church. So as a church, we take authority and we bind the work of occult over this nation. Over every counting place, Lord, every place, nothing, their power will fall to the ground of Father so that the kingdom of God will be manifested. The will of God will come to pass, O Lord. Everything the enemy and their cohorts try to do will fail, Father, and your will will come to pass for this nation. And as a church, we pray for mercy for this nation, Lord. Mercy, mercy for the nation and mercy for the church in this nation, Lord. Have mercy upon us, Lord. Mercy. The church has suffered so much in the past five years, O Lord. So we ask for mercy, Father. Our suffering is nothing compared to our brethren in other nations, Lord. But still we cry out, Father. We cry out, Father, that we will have. You said, Lord, pray that you have leaders who will give you peace to preach the gospel. That's all we pray, Father. Our provision comes from above. But we pray we will have a government that will give us peace, that we can preach your word, that souls will come into the kingdom, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. You brought us all safely here. Now, as we go back, I pray you reach each one of us home safely, Lord. Safety, Father, in your hands we trust, not in our skills, but in you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.